You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up with your hosts, Sadaka Bodka of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of Top Rank Professional and Executive Search Firm. Diversity Straight Up is a Corridor Business Journal podcast brought to you by the City of Cedar Rapids, Collins Aerospace, and Alliant Energy. On today's episode, Suresh Gunishgarden, CEO of University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics and Associate Vice President for University of Iowa Healthcare. So it's really important that if we're going to rely on technology to make things better, that you invest in being able to give those very communities we're trying to empower equal access to that technology. We'll be right back. At Collins Aerospace, we believe that fostering an inclusive environment makes our employees feel valued. It also helps our business succeed. By encouraging diverse viewpoints in the workplace, we're redefining futures. It's why we proudly support the Corridor Business Journal's diversity podcast, Diversity Straight Up. Diversity Straight Up is sponsored by the City of Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids is a welcoming and vibrant city, encompassing unique attractions, exciting and diverse events, specialty shopping, a dynamic art scene, and a large variety of restaurant and nightlife options. You'll find that Cedar Rapids offers one of the best places to live, work, and play in the Midwest. We are coming to you uh, virtually from from each of our homes uh, this morning, following the rules and due to COVID-19, we all wanna be safe. Uh, We're about to get under the hood with uh, Swedish Gunnarsgaden, CEO of the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. But before I do, something's on my mind. Something's on my mind. You know, Sarah, something's been on my mind, and I know I've been struggling with this the last couple of weeks. It just feels like it's getting worse. I, I think about a lot of the inequities I've been seeing you know, we've talked about healthcare, and 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 uh, I, I look at the meatpacking plant situation, and I'm I'm watching you know primarily Latinos and African Americans being forced to go back to work in these dangerous situations with no control or say over what they can and can't do for the most part. And I think about what's happening in Michigan, and I look at these these protests around the country for people wanting to get back to work, and and I look at that and I say, man, if those people had melanin in their skin like me. No way they're standing on a state capitol with guns like that. And I, I'm asking, what, what can I do about it? What, what can we do about this? This is crazy. There's got to be something. How do we get past this? And that's that's been tough for me. That's been real tough. Well, Anthony, you know, um, thanks for sharing. And, you know, I know that these are charged times and it's not just now. I mean, it's been throughout history, but it's just been compounded with uh, this global pandemic. And um, I know that uh, for me, uh, it comes down to self-preservation through self-reflection. And I need to do that introspection because honestly, um, when I'm reading through all of the media and I'm seeing all of these different incidents that are rising, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on sexual orientation, you name it, the gamut, I have to do introspection and I have to think about how, why or how did I react or did I not react to a certain situation. So I have to go back and look at it from my own value system. And I have yeah, to do that yeah. reflection. I really do. So that's part of my self-preservation I, is I have to reflect. That's one thing. Yeah, yeah, I do some Yeah, I do some of that too. I think that's that's good. I, and I, I probably should do more of that, to be honest with you. Um, one of the things I, I think we have to do as well, Sarah, we have to communicate more. I think, and that's an easy thing to say, right? Because it's difficult for me. How do I communicate with somebody who doesn't like gay people or, or doesn't like black people and I and I know it I can see it in their in their demeanor I can see it on their posts or I can see it in their actions and how do I get that person to a table to look them in the eye and say why do you feel that way that's a difficult thing but I think that that's a powerful step if we can figure that out how do we communicate more uh, and, and I have to work on that myself. Well, you know, communication actually allows for you to be able to, and others, and myself as well, to expand our cultural competency. At the end of the day, it's just exposing ourselves to a different views, different perspectives, different values, different belief systems, and that's what communication allows us to do. Hard, 
but it's critical. Yeah. So I agree with you uh, being another you know key thing to do. Um, for me, I think the other thing is we've always said as leaders, you need to be able to take risks. You need to be bold. Yes. And um, you're thinking about companies that are looking at their brand. Um, they're thinking of ways that they can be part of that global corporate social responsibility as a planet people, profits, all three Ps are, are certain more valuable than others. And honestly, you may lose some of the market share. Ah, but if you take the risk, you may also gain more of the market share while you still yeah. maintain the values of yourself as a leader as well as the organization. Even as you're communicating these, these difficult issues with friends, family at the water cooler, or at the corporate boardroom, <laughs> you, you got to be willing to take risks. You could lose friends, you could lose family, you could lose business, but you have to have these conversations. And then to your point, Sadika, back to that self-reflection. So I think we've given some good points here. Yeah, right. I think so too. Self-preservation yeah. through self-reflection, communication, and then looking at being a bold risk taker like and then continuing to always have that process. We could we could talk all day about this, uh, but I'm going to take those three points and try, try to be better about it. So. Well, a little bit about our guest. Suresh is the CEO of University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. He also serves as Associate Vice President for University of Iowa Healthcare, the state's largest comprehensive academic medical center. As CEO, Suresh oversees the operational, strategic, and financial performance for U of I hospitals and clinic. Suresh joined U of I Healthcare in November 2018 and brings with him more than 20 years of experience in healthcare administration and healthcare information technology. Prior to coming to Iowa, he served as the COO for the University of Texas Southwestern Health System in Dallas, Texas. He began his career as an administrative director in outpatient clinical operations at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. Suresh earned an MBA degree with honors at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Listeners, Suresh's bio is extremely long and extremely impressive, and we're just excited to be able to have him as our guest today. What's on our guest's mind? Suresh, welcome, welcome to our virtual recording of Diversity Straight Up. Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys. And uh, uh, I'm relatively new to this community, only been here a couple of years, but already uh, learning so much about uh, the great people here and uh, look forward to talking to you. Well, welcome to our region and, and welcome to Iowa, Suresh. So um, tell us about yourself. We have learned a little bit about your professional history, starting with Nashville and then, you know, coming here to Iowa a few years ago. But uh, would you mind sharing with our listeners, as well as Anthony and I, a little bit more about your personal journey? Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what impacted you to take your career path? Sure. Um, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, um, to parents uh, that uh, came from India. Um, in the 60s. And uh, my dad is a research scientist and he was working at St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital in Memphis at the time. And my mom's a dietitian. Uh, and um, so uh, I, I was born in Memphis, but when I was still in elementary school, we moved to Nashville uh, as my dad got a new job there. And uh, I grew up in Nashville. I, uh, I went to high school there, attended college there. And my first job uh, was in Nashville. And uh, uh, for me, during college, I got exposure to hospitals and clinics by working as an intern at Vanderbilt Hospital. And uh, I was lucky because that opportunity afforded me to see various different sides of healthcare, uh, the administrative side, working in the hospital, working with doctors, uh, doing research, uh, seeing patients, various different activities I was exposed to, and uh, gave me an opportunity to really evaluate what I wanted to do. And uh, as, a, as a guy just coming out of college, uh, I decided that uh, there was a lot of aspects of healthcare that appealed to me. But at the end of the day, what really appealed to me was helping folks. And so I think that that's uh, what really started me down this path. Awesome. Well, given given your given the world that you're in, you're engulfed in today. Obviously, you know we we. Uh, scheduled time to talk to you, uh, Sadesh, prior to COVID nineteen, far before we knew anything about this, and so, but obviously, given the fact that you're you're in golf today, uh, I imagine you've got very little time on your hands for for work, and 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 you still allow time in your schedule 
to talk to us uh, this morning about such an important topic of equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement. Um, why did you decide to keep this appointment with us this morning? Well, I think it's a couple of things. One is that I think that in my role here at the hospital and at the university, I think it's important to uh, de- to be a part of the community and to deeply participate in conversations around serious topics such as this that really impact the entire community. So uh, I think however busy we get, uh, I think there is a a responsibility and an interest to be involved in the community. So I think that's one aspect of it. I think the second is that I think this is an important conversation that however much we do talk about it, uh, I feel as though as we as a society probably don't talk about it um, enough. And I don't think we have as rich uh, a conversation as we could sometimes. So it was appealing to me to, to try to offer my own perspectives and learn uh, from you as well. So I think that's uh, an important part of it. And I think the final part of it, it is, is that uh, I think that uniquely here at um, the University of Iowa Healthcare, probably one of the greatest drivers of our success is our continued journey to uh, uh, engage our entire enterprise around uh, diversity and equity not only because it's a reality of what we do, but when properly engaging our entire workforce and embracing the diversity of thinking and abilities, you really bring out the best ability to serve the community. And so uh, I think that's also a a very uh, important context for this conversation. It definitely demonstrates um, that um, uh, from a leadership perspective, the responsibility, but you also have an interest in it. But when you're thinking of engaging your entire workforce um, and being able to drive uh, the equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement, um, I want to, it kind of leads into my next question here is uh, recently, Anthony and I, along with a few of our strategic partners, including Joe here, uh, we wrote an article and um, it addressed uh, some equity gaps that are extremely problematic across all industry sectors right now, including healthcare. And so what you just indicated right now with Anthony, that you have a commitment and responsibility, we know that uh, communities of color were already disproportionately impacted by systemic inequities in the U.S. healthcare system. So now with the COVID-19 data, we're seeing how revealing across the country the trend in which infection and as well as mortality rates for African Americans and Latinos, and I also read somewhere with Native Americans, are alarmingly disproportionate to their numbers within the general population. And having the responsibility and being in the leadership role that you're at, and I'm sure in other um, settings that you were in the other hospitals and other communities, we know that these disparities must be addressed head on. So as a leader of a major medical research institution in the thick of this, you know, COVID-19 response, what do you think needs to be done to really continue to um, not have these inequities continue to compound? It's a really good question. Um, I think on the front lines, what we see is that uh, this data is true at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, and it is true in the state of Iowa, and it's true in the communities that we serve. So uh, the first point is it's the, the front lines validate this data that uh, all communities do not have the same access to health care. All uh, communities do not have the support system in place. Uh, to engage with the health system or even benefit from the health system as comprehensively as other populations. And that that further compounding the issues are that it's not just communities of color alone, it's communities of color that also are more vulnerable to uh, economic disparities, other types of barriers. And so this is a compounding effect. So the first thing is to recognize that this is a reality. The second thing is we are very honored and humbled Uh, at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics to uh, provide uh, comprehensive medical care to all patients, regardless of their ability to pay. And in fact, uh, many times when there are complex uh, conditions associated with this, uh, with with, uh, health disparities and folks specifically that um, are unable to access to care, they travel from all around the state to come to us because they know that we are one of the few places that uh, will will absolutely treat everyone with the same standard of care, regardless of their ability to pay or where they came from in the state. And but even when you do all of that, 
you have to recognize that unless you as a healthcare team are inclusive and you embrace the principles of diversity, you are really going to miss uh, the opportunity to deliver the highest level of care unless your team really reflects the communities that it serves and has the insight, the compassion, and the innovation that's going to be necessary to serve those communities. And so just because we see all patients doesn't mean that we're perfect at seeing all patients. Each of these communities has unique needs. And I don't just mean language skills or cultural sensitivity. I'm talking about understanding where folks are coming from, what their living circumstances are like, how they feel when they enter the healthcare system, um, what kinds of support would be most meaningful to them. And so for us, it's a journey. Uh, we're certainly not at the mountaintop. We're, however, recognizing that the mountaintop is a very important place to be. And we work every day, every week, um, every year to improve our own performance and improve our own capabilities because we know that we can benefit our community a great deal by succeeding in this manner. You know, you indicated that this is a journey and it's better to be on the mountaintop climbing the journey versus not being on the mountaintop. Where do you see some of these um, little uh, bumps in the road on your mountaintop? What are some things that you want to see overcome in the next, um, not even in the next couple of years, now? Um, we can't wait for the future, but um, as you're looking at the present, what are some of those things that you want to overcome? Um, I think that they probably fall into a couple of categories. One is what can our organization uh, do ourselves? And so what we are focusing on um, is really a couple of different areas. Number one, we're focused on recruitment. Um, we uh, want to make sure that our workforce uh, reflects the kinds of diversity that is witnessed um, in, in all parts of society, but most specifically, um, how you help the community overcome some of these disparities and barriers in populations of color or uh, with folks that are economically disadvantaged is to make sure that you as an organization are providing um, job opportunities to those communities uh, in a manner that can help uh, begin to uh, break the cycle and uh, begin to inform our own opinion. The second thing is that I think you have to redesign the way that you deliver healthcare. Uh, I think that uh, that's a journey in and of itself, but one major aspect of it is to be inclusive. One major aspect of it is to take the broader workforce that may not have come from uh, these economic or cultural backgrounds and make sure that they understand the importance of it to start uh, uh, introducing methods and training that would allow them to better serve these communities. Um, and uh, I, I think that's an aspect of it. Uh, but I think that the final aspect of it is to make sure that even within the leadership uh, and strategic planning of the organization, that these kinds of goals are taken into account. Uh, and uh, I think across those uh, three areas, that's something that we can focus on within our organization. But the other question is, and the other part of the solution, in my opinion, is that if we're really going to break this cycle and if we're really going to get to the mountaintop, it takes a village. No individual university, no individual hospital can do this. And so I think that there's a real opportunity for us to partner across the community with various different organizations to see how we can align support for these communities and reinforce some of the positive behaviors that are going to be necessary for us to aspire to that mountaintop. Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com slash careers. So that's this, this, this epidemic, switching gears just a little bit, it's, it's, um, we acknowledge it's, it started in, Ch in China, and, and it's resulted in a significant uh, you know, rise in hate, hate crimes uh, against Chinese people, in, in part because of the heavy use of you know, the word Chinese flu and, and, and constant news stories uh, you know, where, where China's being blamed for the spread in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
What what are your thoughts about that that issue? Have you ex- experienced any sort of uh, racism as a leader uh, upon your since you've been here at, at the university? I have not personally experienced anything, but I'm uh, I'm also extremely privileged um, uh, in so many ways, uh, not just based on where I sit on the org chart and not just based on my income, not just based, I mean, there's so many things where I'm profoundly privileged where my, my um, uh, experience wouldn't be typical of what someone in the community is experiencing. Um, I think it always, these moments of challenge always test our um, society and test our culture. Uh, I have heard of, um, uh, discrimination and uh, against uh, minorities as a result of COVID-19. I've heard of challenges that uh, Asian Americans feel as a result of, of this uh, crisis. Um, but I've also heard of the uh, despair amongst uh, broader communities of color based on health disparities as well. Um, many folks are uh, scared to uh, seek out medical uh, treatment. Uh, for fear of stigma. Uh, many folks are, uh, uh, are feeling as though they're being targeted out mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. contact tracing or isolation. All of these things um, show that yeah. we have a long way to go within our community on a message of inclusion. Uh, I think that's why if you uh, look at uh, the big campaign that we initiated at UI Healthcare, it's to emphasize we're in it together. Um, uh, it, it, it's particularly irrelevant where um, the uh, disease began. Uh, it, it's, it's scientifically uh, irrelevant at this point. I mean, I think it, what, what's relevant is that it's scientifically proven that anyone can spread it to anyone and everyone is at risk for it. And those amongst us that are most uh, vulnerable for health outcomes in general are the ones yes. that are most susceptible to this. And so it's reinforcing those things we've known about our healthcare system. And it again shows us that we are all uh, human and we are all part of one community. And uh, the behavior of any of us within the community affects all of us. And so I think that uh, it's rather unfortunate uh, that these instances are uh, happening. But unfortunately, I have to say it's not surprising uh, because there are elements throughout uh, our community and throughout society that continue to reinforce the negative tendencies um, against diversity. And I think that's why we can't take actions uh, to promote diversity and inclusion for granted, because there are natural powers that undermine any progress that we make. And so at every moment, we must take it into account. And every moment, we must be vigilant. And this, what this crisis shows is that Failure to do so may actually cost people lives. And uh, I frankly think that uh, even outside of a pandemic, it costs people lives. But in this specific instance, uh, you can see the medical impact of it. You can collect the data and you can see it. You know, Suresh, uh, you bring up some um, excellent points here and especially thinking about um, equity, diversity, inclusion and engagement uh, not only you know how valuable it is in the good times, but extremely valuable during the bad times because that's when you see a lot of this um, um, disparities come into play. And we talk a lot about you know systemically how do you break that cycle? And I know going back to an earlier question and the response that you provided in terms of you know how you think that one of the ways is really looking at the talent attraction aspect of it as well as um, some of that uh, development and training that you're looking for so that people understand and have empathy of where people are coming or where they're coming from to have that connection. Do you think we talk, Anthony and I talk about this quite a bit as well is um, with the, with technology is one of the drivers of diversity. Do you feel that that can also help with your talent attraction that people don't need to be in your own backyard to be able to provide service delivery and it'll allow you to have a greater diverse pool in your workforce, especially if telehealth is going to be on the wave of what we're experiencing now? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the use of technology and the use of technology to span geography is a new law of nature that is immutable. So it's just going to bring us all closer together. Um, I think that as social media shows, it has an equal power to 
uh, bring us together as it as it does to tear us apart. And uh, so I think that uh, absolutely um, technology can be used to attract new talent, to give access to populations to healthcare that they wouldn't have otherwise, but it must be intentional. Uh, I think that uh, when you take a look at disparities in healthcare, communities of color and communities uh, that are economically disadvantaged disproportionately don't have access to technology in order to, uh, to get telehealth. That's also true in Iowa in rural communities, disproportionately don't access, have access to technology. And so it's really important that if we're gonna rely on technology to make things better, that you invest in being able to give those very communities we're trying to empower equal access to that technology. And so that um, uh, I am very proud of our efforts to uh, extend telehealth to manage this COVID crisis. I think that honestly, we were top five in the country in terms of how large of a telehealth presence we got stood up within the first week of this uh, COVID crisis. However, even while we're patting ourselves on the back, let's be clear, uh, the, the folks that um, were able to access telehealth in that first week were the folks that already were economically able to access that technology, were able to easily implement it, et cetera. And so I'm not sure that our communities that were most in need were the beneficiaries of the telehealth. They were also beneficiaries of the telehealth, but I'm just, I think we need to be intentional. If we're gonna use technology, make sure it gets in the hands of, the fo of all the folks. Um, when um, I was sharing with some of our folks that we were going to have you as a guest on the podcast, um, it was not lost on them or us that we have two men of Indian descent, you and your COO, Sabi Singh, who are leading one of the best research medical institutions in the U.S. And um, as an Indian woman, I was born in India, Gujarat, India. I'm, I'm excited to see this. And um, the reason why is, especially here in Iowa, Suresh, where you know the demographics, over 90% of our population is Caucasian. So it's certainly rare here locally, and I imagine even nationally to see this visible representation in the C-suite with both the top two leadership positions being held by diverse leaders from a racial ethnic perspective. So I guess I wanted to dig a little bit into, you know, your own decision. You know, as you took this role on, what were your thoughts that crossed your mind? You came from Texas that was very diverse and coming here to Iowa and then knowing what the org chart looked like. So I was just curious about that a little bit more. Uh, I think that, uh, one of the things that I've been very lucky to understand very early in life is that I'm extremely privileged. And what I mean by that is that um, my parents came from India. We lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and the world they experienced was very different than the world I experienced as their son. And what I mean by that is um, with their heavy accents, with their la lack of cultural perspective, and are always adequate but never opulent income levels, um, they experienced a different Nashville. They experienced a different Tennessee than I did as a, as a second generation kid they, that they paid to put in the best schools um, and was given both economic opportunities and social opportunities that allowed me to really, in one household, experience what two Americas can look like. And so I've been very, very privileged mm -hmm. throughout my life. And um, so when I came to Iowa and I evaluated this opportunity, um, I did not um, really evaluate the level of diversity within the organization because I knew the role that I was coming into, however uh, it was structured, that I'd really be able to impact how much diversity and inclusion we had within the organization. Now, it was it was a great positive to, to see Sabi in the leadership, but I will also say equally in healthcare, when we have so much workforce that is uh, uh, that are women, uh, I always kind of look at it to see how much how much how much do we have in terms of women in leadership. So although it was great to see Sabi as an Indian um, in leadership, I was equally moved by the uh, number of women leaders that we have. Our chief medical officer, Dr. Terry Brennan. Chief Nursing Executive Cindy Dawson, um, uh, Amy O'Dean, who's our uh, who was our director of the Children's Hospital, now uh, 
head of strategic service lines. Um, so it was, it's, it's really been an overall diversity picture. Um, if you want to know the truth, the thing that I was most worried about was, am I going to be the only person not from Iowa? Um, and, uh, and I've been really, really welcomed by yeah. that because through and through, I don't really think of myself that much as a guy from India, as much as I think of myself as a guy from Tennessee. And, uh, uh, I, I'm very, very proud of my heritage. I'm very, uh, proud of my religion and my culture and my community, but I see that as, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to integrate that into my American experience. And so um, it was interesting when I was coming in, the thing I was most worried about is, am I going to be the only non-Iowan? <laughs> so that's, you, you mentioned, and I, you mentioned quite a bit about your, your privilege uh, growing up and your, your parents. I really like that story that, about you, your parents allowing you, creating an opportunity for you to really see two Americas. But I want to talk about your, your journey and, and perhaps some of your experiences um, as a person of Indian descent, even though you were born and raised in, in America, were there any moments throughout your journey, um, through your life where you've experienced, uh, barriers to entry barriers, uh, racism? Um, and, and how did you handle those situations? Um, I think that there are two buckets. Um, I think there is my personal life and then there's my professional life. Um, I think throughout my personal life, I think that, uh, there are two forms of uh, challenges that come up. Uh, one is, um, I, I think that uh, whether it's friends, whether it's dating, whether it's any of these things, uh, being in interracial inter relationships as well as interracial friendships, you know, comes with its own comes with its own challenges. And uh, I think I have felt multiple times that perhaps situations that I were in that I found myself in were not inclusive. I felt as though, uh, and continue to feel um, that uh, uh, my wife is not the same race as me. Uh, I, I think we get noticed. I think that there is behavior. There are assumptions that folks make about us, um, or and it's it's just normal and to us that we would expect that. But uh, uh, I think what I've become over time is very confident in myself and what I believe in and the kinds of people that I want to associate with. But it's, we still live in a society where it's very much noted. And, uh, and perhaps we've made progress over decades, but uh, that's always been a feature of my personal life. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. It's been difficult to uh, participate necessarily in the Indian community, uh, Indian American community, uh, for the same reason. Uh, you know, how much are, are you really an Indian, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, um, and so that there's a, also a personal kind of aspect to it, that there's a lot of pride over what I accomplished, but there's also an expectation within that community right. as to what it means to be a real Indian. Um, and, and so I think that those are challenges that, um, I have faced on a personal basis going into the professional sphere. Um, I think that throughout my career, um, there will be so many barriers that I don't know about because when you send your resume in and your name is as difficult to pronounce as I am, I don't know how many opportunities I didn't get over, over that issue alone. Um, uh, the reason I bring that up is uh, early on in my career, even, even later in my career, quite often when an interview job interview begins, uh, the first thing that people note either through body language or actually making a comment is just how I really don't sound Indian. Um, that, uh, uh, wow, you're really well-spoken. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have an accent. Um, uh, I would say in the last five, 10 years, that's gone because even though folks may think it, I don't, I don't, I don't hear it because uh, it's entirely probably mm -hmm. inappropriate for the level of position I'm discussing. But I think that that's, a part of the cultural context that everyone comes into uh, professional interactions with certain assumptions about how this is. Um, and uh, I faced it a long time because for a portion of my career, even though I started in hospital operations and now I'm leading a hospital in the middle, um, I ran uh, IT, information technology for our hospital. And there were a lot of stereotypes that folks assumed that because you're an Indian guy and you're running IT, uh -huh. that you must be from India and you must be a computer science engineer, and, uh, and that you must have a certain approach to life, none of which is true. Uh, I, I, 
don't have a computer science background. I wasn't born in India. And my approach to things is, is, is broader than that. And so I think that uh, what this has shown me throughout um, my career is the value of being myself while also making it my point to develop relationships across the entire team. I think that when you take a look at my leadership style, it has been, it's been most forged by one concept, which is that you need to take a team-based approach. And to me, that started with the fact that uh, being a person of color, that it was really important for me to always be accepted by the entire team and for the team to understand where I'm coming from. And I had great success in building teams when folks understood who I was, where I was coming from, and how I was committed to working together with everyone. It also caused folks to get out of their own comfort zone and, um, and meet me halfway. And uh, uh, so I think that uh, those are a lot of the, the, the essential challenges that I faced. I don't even know where to begin with the response to um, all of those amazing experiences and um, challenges. I knew you were feeling that, Sarah. I knew you were feeling that. Can you feel it? Yes. Uh, I think Anthony and I have had a lot of these conversations. And Suresh, um, I came to the States when I was um, 19 months old. And this was in the late 70s. And um, this is even before technology was accessible, prevalent. And I used to always say that my parents were frozen in time where um, from a, you know, socioeconomic background, we didn't have access to things that would allow them to be stay connected to India. So they held on to their traditions very strongly. And then, uh, but then when I would go to school, it would be more the Western education system. It was all about what do you think? Um, how do you want to be independent? You're a leader. And then I'd come into the household and it'd be very traditional. And it was not about me. It was not about me, the individual. It was all about the collective good. And um, I think that when you think about um, building teams and building relationships, both personally and professionally, that cultural competency, Suresh, that you continue to indicate, um, it's difficult and challenging to put yourself out there and expose yourself to something that is you know, different to you. But that is how the cultural competency builds yeah. over time and that you are able to you know, uh, build diverse That's teams. Sarah and I have had tons of conversations about that, so it's, it's an interesting perspective. Um, switching gears just a little bit, Suresh, your your role at, at UIHC, uh, the UIHC obviously is highly ranked when it comes to diversity among em- employment ranks. Um, doing a little research, and actually in the 2020 rankings um, of, of best employers for diversity, Forbes ranked UI healthcare number 47 overall uh, nationwide, and, and number 10 among healthcare and in, in, in the healthcare and social category. And uh, this is front page. Uh, I know the rankings are front page on the UIHC website, and uh, which obviously emphasizes the importance of this this ranking. Um, I, I will say full disclosure: I'm I'm a University of Iowa graduate, go Hawks! Yeah. And uh, did a lot of fundraising at the university, so very familiar with with rankings and how important they are to an institution, uh, as well as the healthcare uh, cohort. But uh, so compared to 2019, those numbers uh, slipped. In 2019, uh, UIHC was ranked number 24, um, and they were ranked number two uh, in the healthcare and social categories. So still great rankings today. The 2020 rankings are still very good, but uh, given that this is uh, at the forefront and, uh, of, of your organization, what are your thoughts about these rankings and, and steps that can be done to, to improve those numbers or continue to work on those rankings? How important do you feel they are to the, to the organization as a leader? I think diversity and inclusion is really important. Uh, I think we dropped in the rankings because I was hired. (laughs) We thought so. They didn't like that. So uh, you can blame me. Um, But I think that uh, the rankings are, are really nuanced. Um, Do we want to be ranked? Do we want our ranking to go up? Absolutely. We want to be ranked and we absolutely um, want them to go up. That being said, I think that we have our own internal measures of recruitment and uh, leadership and sensitivity, and we survey our staff. And I think those are just as important Mm -hmm. inputs. And I think that uh, we never stopped working on diversity and inclusion because we were in the top 10 in those rankings. We continue to view it as a journey. And uh, if we're asking whether it's a university wide a point of emphasis right. it absolutely is president harold uh, within the strategic planning process had four or five goals 
across the entire institution and diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, in, all to uh, as well as engagement, were all a top priority for the entire university community. And then within UI Healthcare, um, Dr. Brooks Jackson and I have partnered to make sure uh, that we continue to extend that into healthcare. And so I feel like uh, we build off of a lot of strengths. Um, I came from a medical center in, in Dallas, Texas, that was also committed to diversity. But when I came here, I just saw a lot more progress and sophistication within the organization. Um, I think that within our LGBTQ community here uh, in Iowa City and at the university and within UI Healthcare, I've seen tremendous strides in uh, tactics and strategies that um, uh, really extend inclusiveness to that. Uh, something that I think is very unique for me coming from Texas to here is that as a percentage of the total population, uh, the persons of color are just a smaller population in the state of Iowa. Uh, it's not as true in Johnson County in Iowa City. So it's a, just a different point of reference. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that we have to continue to appeal to a broader audience mm -hmm. than necessarily just this state or just this region in the state to continue to access uh, a broader diverse community. And so there, each organization comes with its different challenges, but I've been yeah. very heartened by how much this organization was doing well before I got here. So it's, it's, it's great to just now be a part of it. Well, thank you, Suresh, um, uh, for all of the insights and a great conversation. Um, I think at this point now, we're going to switch gears a little bit more as um, we know that um, our listeners have a lot that's on their mind as well. What's on our listeners' minds? So uh, many times we ask our listeners for questions, feedback, comments, and uh, right now we do have a listener question for our guest uh, here today, Suresh. So this question is from Alfred. His question is, what do you see as the future of equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement efforts throughout your organization? I think that's a great question. What do you think, Suresh? I think that uh, it used to be from a, a standpoint of designing healthcare that is uh, culturally sensitive um, to focus mostly on translation services. If someone walks in and they don't speak the same language, are you able to still communicate with them? I think the future for us is uh, in, in healthcare delivery is to partner with community-based organizations that are also helping with food insecurity, mm -hmm. community organizations that are helping with education, uh, community organizations that are working on job training, uh, community organizations uh, that are potentially religious or otherwise that are supporting these communities of color or these communities that are experiencing uh, disparities in access to care, we have to start thinking through how can we help folks in that community uh, better get educated on the impact of high blood pressure or cardiovascular disease or uh, the importance of preventative screenings to catch disease at an earlier state and begin to work within the communities that uh, themselves with partners so that we can change the dialogue about what healthcare is. All too often, uh, uh, communities that are experiencing these barriers only use the healthcare system when they absolutely have to. And the future of healthcare is to make sure that everyone understands that the entire healthcare system is here for our entire community and that they should, it's actually to their benefit that they should uh, access it sooner rather than later um, so that we can catch things earlier and they can manage it in a financially more affordable way. And at a time when it's easier to modify your lifestyle than being in a healthcare crisis. And so I think a big part of the future of healthcare is designing a new healthcare system or evolving the existing healthcare system to a way that it can better serve those communities that are not able to access it. Today. Well, there you have it, Alfred, a response from Suresh. And uh, indeed, I agree with Suresh that it's a great question, considering we are in the midst of a major disruption globally. So thank you, Alfred, for submitting a question, and uh, we want to hear from you listeners, so continue to submit your questions, comments, suggestions you have for us, and hit us up at info at diversitystraightup.com. One of the things that we do near the, the end of our, our show, and this is always a, a fun game we play, Sadesh, it's called uh, the, the Thumbball Game, and 
uh, for our listeners and for yourself since we're virtual. Um, so that's, I have a, a small soccer ball style, uh, soccer ball in my hand, and, and on the soccer ball, we've got a bunch of uh, icebreaker questions that are revolved around diversity. So typically if we're in a studio, so that's, I don't know if you like sports, uh, but we would be throwing this ball to you, and you would catch it, and wherever your thumb would land, you would ask that question and answer it. So what we thought we would do is I'm going to throw the ball for everybody. So I'm going to throw the ball up, and I'm going to land it on a question, and I'm going to ask that question, Sadesh, and if uh, you don't mind answering, that'd be great. And then I'll throw one for you, Sadika, and then I'll throw one for myself. Sound good? Oh, well, I, ha- well, I have one here that I can throw to myself as well. I want to play oh, that's this right. morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to throw this ball in the air, and, and we're going to have a question for Sadesh. And the question is, how might you personally combat prejudice and discrimination in your world? I think that to take action, I think that uh, anytime you see it, that's the time to get involved. Uh, I I think that uh, every moment in which prejudice uh, or discrimination is displayed in my, in my opinion, is also equally a teachable moment. And uh, what I've seen throughout my life is that those are the moments where uh, uh, it's important to, to take a stand to confront it but not in a um, violent manner, not necessarily in an argumentative manner. I think it's important to be firm. I think that's also a moment to, to really figure out why we can't get on the same page and, um, and beginning, to, beginning to take action. Because I, I think that the only way that we're going to make progress is by taking action. Action, action. All right. Thank you for your answers. Sadika, you throw your ball. Okay. I'm going to throw my ball right now. Huh. My question that I got was, how do people learn bias and stereotypes? What an apt question considering the conversation that we've been having this morning. I think it's really based on what you are exposed to or not exposed to, that um, whether it's your upbringing, uh, the media, what you're seeing around you, your um, circle of friends, circle of professional network. I think that's how people are, you know, learn the bio- biases as well as the stereotypes is just what they're exposed to earlier on and throughout your lifetime. And um, I think um, I wish there was a question on here in terms of how do you break these stuff, break the biases and stereotypes. Yeah. And I think that would go back to what Suresh said, action. You can break the stereotypes. And I think a lot about the cultural biases and cultural stereotypes. So as you and I can have long conversations <laughs> offline <laughs> about this, is that a um, lot of that uh, stereotypes around cultures, etc. that I think that um, we can do something about it. But I think um, that's going to be probably the, the, the challenges moving forward. And I, we're seeing a lot of that prop up right now. But I think that's where we need to continue to be exposed and be open to being exposed to things that are different than us. All right, Anthony. I am th- I'm throwing the ball in the air. I wish I could throw it really high in the air. All right. And we've landed on share one or two examples of prejudice or discrimination based on age. Um, I've, I've, in my world, I, I, I'm in the, 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 the employment world. I, I hire, I recruit and hire people for, for a living. And, I, and I've seen this uh, on a number of occasions where I've had literally clients uh, tell me they're not going to uh, interview or hire someone be, because they didn't feel that they could handle it on a manufacturing line because of their age. Um, they looked at their work history and knew that they had been in the, the industry for a number of years. And, um, those are, those are disheartening situations that I've, that I've had to deal with as a, as a professional. Um, in fact, it's those types of discrimination and prejudice situations that, that really, uh, sparked me to start my, my business, um, to, to, to help be more of an advocate for, for more diverse leadership. Um, because I've, I've seen the examples of, of, of age and, and race uh, be played played out literally in the workforce and cost people employment. So definitely. I love these um, icebreaker questions on these diversity thumbball. They are. They're so fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're so fun. Um, wrapping up here right now, but um, Suresh, um, we want to ask you, 
Um, what advice do you have for our listeners um, based on your equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement journey? What uh, two pieces of advice would you give them to help them be successful on their journey? Number one, get involved in your community, uh, both within your workplace and outside of your workplace, either through uh, what your children are involved in or your neighbors, et cetera. I think I think that the basis for overcoming these challenges is actually getting involved in your community um, in meaningful ways so that any of those activities begin with the basic assumption that uh, we all do better when we're in it together. But then the second piece of that that's specifically um, important is once you are involved, be meaningful about how that the basis for all of this is a is a fundamental challenge in our society that everyone doesn't feel included in every in every activity and i think that regardless of what activity you're you're involved in uh having a frontline intentional way of thinking through how you can be more inclusive once you are involved in that uh community organization i think it's important to be very intentional about thinking through how you can make it more inclusive and attract new people with diverse backgrounds into that area uh, i think that Working from the inside um, to be intentional about being inclusive is really the key. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, great pieces of advices, getting involved, and ensure to be inclusive so that the other parties are going to be engaged. Thank you. Any other, are there any other last thoughts, uh, anything else, Celeste, that, that you wanted to share that maybe we have not covered or we have not asked you? We want to give you an opportunity to, to uh, share anything about your diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement journey that maybe we haven't uh, covered. Anything you wanted to, to cover? No, uh, it's just uh, very humbling to work for the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics during a time of COVID and receive so much support from the community as a whole. It reminds me of what an obligation we have to really remind everyone and be an example of how we're all in it together. And we all benefit when we work together. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Suresh, on behalf of um, us and on behalf of the community, thank you. Thank you to your team. Thank you to all frontline workers for what you are doing and um, helping us get through a you know, global pandemic that none of us have a, you know, playbook for. So it's very humbling to be able to spend time with you today. And um, gratitude is um, abundance. So we appreciate all that you are doing and you and your teams. Yes, thank you so much. And, and, and welcome to Iowa. We're glad you're here. Go Hawks. Yeah, go Hawks. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to our listeners, as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode of Diversity Straight Up, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. CBJ's Diversity Straight Up is brought to you by Collins Aerospace, City of Cedar Rapids, and Alliant Energy. It was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity straight up. Keeping it real.